friends. Welcome to Now with Fiona, the podcast where we explore rather direct questions about the LGBTQ plus community that many people are just too afraid to ask. Hello, my lovely listener. It's me, your Auntie Fiona. As always, I'm super excited for you to meet my guest today. Her name is Jennifer Brown and Jennifer and I share a very important moment in time together. It was Thursday, March the 5th, 2020 in New York City. Jennifer and I were among a group of about eight lesbian, bi or queer identified women who got together for a fun dinner at a fancy restaurant on 43rd Street called Esca. Little did we know that it would be the very last time we got to dine in a New York restaurant and see each other in person for the rest of that year, if not through 2021 as well. But anyway, I have coined that evening as our last supper. (laughs) So let me tell you, though, about the amazing work that Jennifer does. She's CEO and founder of her own consulting firm, Jennifer Brown Consulting or JBC, through which Jennifer and her team design and execute inclusion strategies that are implemented by some of the biggest companies and nonprofits in the world. She's an award-winning entrepreneur, speaker, author, and diversity and inclusion expert. I look up to her as a mentor. All of her books are award-winning, must-reads and must-read-agains, and we'll include them in the show notes. The first two titles are Inclusion, Diversity, the New Workplace and the Will to Change. And the second is How to Be an Inclusive Leader, Your Role in Creating Cultures of Belonging Where Everyone Can Thrive. She's also recently co-authored a groundbreaking book on diversity, equity and inclusion, or DEI, with thought leader and fellow best-selling author Rohit Bhagava, which is titled Beyond Diversity, 12 Non-Obvious Ways to Build a More Inclusive World. And I can't wait to read that one as well. And finally, Jennifer has a podcast. It's called The Will to Change and is downloaded by nearly 15,000 listeners per month. The most important labels Jennifer uses to describe herself are cisgender, lesbian, white and woman. And with that, I am thrilled to welcome my friend and DEI guru, Jennifer Brown. I love that you're taking us back to March, that fateful month. Oh, goodness, do I miss it. That was so fun. And yet like a moment in time. It really was like I had to mention it because, you know, I, I looked up because I needed to remind myself of the name of the restaurant and I don't want to bring us down at all. But, you know, that beautiful restaurant, um, Esco, you know, sadly did not survive the pandemic and is now closed. Oh. And, you know, I think back to that and I remember how I was thinking, how I was feeling. And it was that early, like the week before lockdown, and we would make jokes, you know, someone might cough or do something. And we'd be like, oh no, I I don't have COVID. You know, it was like- (laughs) It was a joke. (laughs) It was a joke. And there was the beginning of like the stigma of it. And it was like, don't stigmatize me. I'm not bringing in the germs. And then, yeah, goodness knows like what germs were swimming with us in that restaurant. But (laughs) I don't even want to think. I'll remember that dinner for the rest of my life and I'm so grateful for it because it was delicious and the company was amazing and and it's like it's a signature event now the last dinner before COVID. (laughs) The last supper truly. And I love that it was a bunch of queer women of course it was. Exactly exactly (laughs) I look I found it in my calendar to get the exact day I think it was like out women or out fabulous women or something like Uh but anyway it's (laughs) delightful to see you and I'm gonna I was about to say dive straight in which I tried to avoid so to speak (laughs) i'm going to gaily go forward with my cheeky question which is a chapter from the title of my book the question is why are we saying hey guys to greet women oh don't get me started (laughs) really do you feel the same way 
I'm so guilty though. I'm, like I'm working on it, but it still slips out. Why? Why, why, why? I know. I know. Oh. But dear listener, let me tell you the reason why this is a title is the chapters are super short. There are like barely a thousand words. And for me, I had this whole history of Guy Fawkes and I'll let the listener, like dear listener, you can just read the chapter. But it has such historic roots and rooted in masculinity and such a male-centered name. And so when I hear people say, hey guys, and especially like women who are, you know, progressive and like about feminists and women's empowerment, and it's to me, it's just like nails on the chalkboard, but it's just such a part of all of our cultures, including the UK, like people in the UK do it too. So do you catch yourself? Like, do you notice it? Like how prevalent is it? Oh yes, it's still so prevalent. I mean, most workplaces, which is where I focus, like they don't even know, they haven't even thought about this. This is not even on their radar screen. And if it is, you know what the reaction is, right, Fiona? It's like, oh, please, like the language police, here they come censoring us, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I hate to be the downer, right? Like I'm the DEI, like corrector, nag, whatever we want to say, but it's like, hey, everybody, guess what? We need to like do an overhaul of our language in so many ways. It's not just this. Right. But it does betray how entrenched it is to, you know, even think in a male dominated way, even to not like even catch ourselves saying this. Right. Even women saying it, right? I mean, that's a really interesting thing. It's one thing, you know, to tackle the issue that guys are being non-inclusive with their language, but to see us who should know better doing that, it really shows, I think, how pervasive it is and how unconscious it is. I'm sure that there are many corporations that would be like, look, we're just trying to like <laughs> make sure that we have effective recruiting and retaining. If you're going to try and make us like get rid of yes. guys, then, you know, we're in the weeds right there. Like we got bigger fish to fry. But no, hey, hey guys, apparently is like the most common term on people that do YouTube videos and that kind of stuff. But I just, I have a very simple word to replace it with and it's hey y'all hey y'all all y'all i live in texas all of y'all and hey y'all is like y'all is the best word ever like i have this tank t-shirt that says love y'all and it's like oh it's such a delicious word i love words and you know, if you're not in the South and that's not, doesn't work, how's hey folks? And I might even be inclusive with the folks and do an X instead of KS. Yeah. I love that because it's also all gender inclusive, which I'm all about. And I know you are too. Hey folks, hey team, hey everyone, you whatever. Yeah. There are so many alternatives. So when people complain, I'm like, you know, we're not, we're not limited. Like we can do this. <laughs> we can have more inclusive language without like, oh, getting all depressed about it and saying, oh, like I'm being controlled and told what to do, what I can and can't say. You know, you don't want to give people the fodder for that because they will use it. I just think there's this whole, not backlash, but it is. I mean, there's a lot of resistance, even the pronoun thing, Fiona, like yeah. the grammarians all of a sudden, you know, say, oh, I have an issue, I have a problem. They, them is not grammatically correct. <laughs> so that's, that's more important than being inclusive right. of how people right. want to be called. I mean, something that important, you're really going to quibble with that because you're uncomfortable. Really? Right. <laughs> and, and in fact, they, them is grammatically correct. Yes. We've been using they, them as a singular pronoun for hundreds of years, if not longer. Like Shakespeare used it. You know, I live in a camper, as you know. And so cute. Someone had to come, you know, fix my water heater. And I wasn't quite sure what time they were going to show up. There you go. You know, you use they, them all the time as a singular 
but you're not aware of it anyway. So, and I think it's the resistance to change, which is why I can imagine why you have the word change in your book titles, because hello, like people are afraid to change, but in fact, change has been happening since we first began to exist, right? <laughs> that is right. We as humans are very adaptable. We can learn and we can keep evolving regardless of our age yeah. and our generation, right? And in fact, I think people, my generation, which is Gen X, uh -huh. I'm such a Gen Xer, you're a cusper. I think you're talking. I am. Yeah. There's a name for that little cusp, that little mini generation, you know, between Gen X and millennial. Well, of course it is because I'm bisexual, so I can go in all the ways, right? <laughs> <laughs> all the things, all the things. I mean, why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why not? You know, our generation was told in the DNI world, I just use this example, like we were told to say and believe I don't see color, just as an example. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. and so when I do all this executive work with people that are in my generation and that are usually white cisgender men, I'll say, you know, many of the things we were taught are not not only inappropriate, it's bigger than that. It's just that it's not going to enable you to resonate with people like it's not speaking their language because Difference wants to be seen. We want to be seen. Yeah. We don't want our, whatever they are, our identities that have led to challenges or pain points or whatever to be swept under the rug. We want to actually be celebrated for this. We want it to be named because in order to change something, speaking of change, it needs to be named. Yeah. I mean, that's half the battle. And then once we say, okay, so the experience of a black woman, the experience of a queer person, you know, if it's this, this, and this, okay. Now we know, now we've been told, what do we want to build as a result of that? And how do I need to change in a system? How do I change the system, which is the big question, mm. to, you know, enable us all to feel welcomed, valued, respected, and heard. And to me, it is no more complicated than that. And yet sort of we've got to, you know, dispense of and revisit so many things that we were taught and also realize there was so much we weren't taught, yeah. so much that we don't know. And I think that's a beautiful opportunity. I don't think this is a chore. I don't think it's a burden. It's actually this gift. It's a blessing mm -hmm. to learn, you know, what makes this person tick? What makes this person tick? Like, what is their experience every day? How's it different from mine? How can I be an allyship with others that have different lived experiences? And I think that is such an amazing and sacred opportunity. So, but I mean, I do this for a living. So I see the beauty that is possible on the other side of this. And that's why I'm like, if we can just get through this, there's so much that's possible for you, for your family, for your relationships with people. Like sometimes it's hard. It's pushing a boulder up a hill. As you know, <laughs> you know the push. <laughs> I certainly do. And think when people say, oh, I don't see color, they have best intent when they say that. Sure. What Absolutely. would you suggest that they should say instead? Yeah, thank you for asking that. I'm so glad you said that. It is coming from a good place. And I think those of us who've been in the work, right, and have been kind of hip to a lot of this stuff, we have to have the patience with the folks that are trying. Yeah. And they may be trying imperfectly. They may be have incomplete information. They may be thinking they're doing the right thing. And this is why the difference between intent and impact really matter. So we can point out the impact, not to say you're a bad person, right? but to say, so these days you think you may be saying the, the right thing, but actually what it's sort of been upgraded. Yeah. There you go. Right. It's an upgrade. And it's an upgrade that's like, just like gender identity. Yeah. The upgrade is gender is not a binary. We have the science. We understand that gender is a continuum. We understand that, you know, so many things about our identity yeah. are more complex than we thought. So what I would say is I'm learning about my own privileges walking through the world as a, you know, fill in the blank. And here's what doesn't happen to me. Here's what I don't have to think about. 
And then I always encourage people to share what it feels like to learn this, to realize it, to carry it, share that it disturbs you, share that what you're learning it makes you realize that like I'm an LGBTQ person for 25 years I've been out, but there these all these other identities, Fiona and folks can't see me. I'm a white cisgender woman and having been protected by a myriad of privileges throughout the years of my life meant that coming out for me did not come with all the other risks of also being this, also being that, mm. right? We can add to it. So I like to say like I came out, but there was like a plush carpet under me. Wow. Yeah. Right. I was not at risk of losing the love of my family. I was not at risk of losing all of my economic viability, my employment, because these other pieces made me look like and be an insider. Mm -hmm. And yes, as a woman in business, certainly not an insider. Right. I mean, absolutely. That has been the fight of my life for sure. And I still feel that, you know, but realizing we can have marginalized identities and also the identities that protect us and those tailwinds behind us, that I think is how we need to be talking about this ourselves in the system. I feel very similar to you as well, where I feel like I came out and, you know, landed on a plush carpet and then I came out again and landed on another one. And it's like, and so I kind of, <laughs> maybe bisexuals are greedy, I don't know. For me, like privilege resembles opportunity to help others. That's and that's right. why I get so excited about this work. It's like, I feel that we're all spiritual beings having a human experience. And my spirit was like plopped in this body at this time to go off and do this work. Mm. And that's why I just get so energized and excited by it because it's opportunity to help other people. And that feels good. And you've always done that with your work. I mean, I have to commend you. Like, you embody allyship. I mean, you have literally raised voices that are not heard and you've used your platform to do that. And that is like a wonderful example of how we have to teach people to think about it. Like, what am I doing to center? What am I doing to share? What am I doing today to ensure that if I'm the only one in that room, that I am bringing all the facts that aren't represented in that room, you know, holding open the door so that table can be diversified. Yeah. I just think it's so, it's fascinating. This is within our ability to do. This is not something I feel bad about. I don't know about you, but I feel so proud, so excited, so honored, honestly, to be in service of diversifying our world and like finding the right role for somebody that looks like me to play. Yeah. And that's, I think what you and I, you know, been like questioning, okay, so what do I do with everything I've been given? Yeah. Like, what am I called to do? And I mean, it's really every day, if, if we could demystify this and make it like not so heavy, not so, oh, I'm a bad right. person. Like, I don't know. People really take this and they end up kind of going away and like feeling somehow like wounded and, you know, like I'm not a part of this. I'm not needed. I'm not wanted. I'm not welcome. I don't add value. All the narrative that people do. And I try to say, no, hold on. Actually, we need precisely what you have access to. Yeah. Like exactly that. But, you know, somehow we're, we're not kind of getting the messaging right. I'm not sure what we could be. That's a whole podcast. One of the other pieces of work that I'm doing in the DEI space is creating short storytelling videos for corporations to complement their DEI programs. Mm. And so we just did this amazing project with a global company. And instead of telling somebody, here's how not to be a racist, instead, we're like sharing, <laughs> <laughs> sharing like a 10 minute story about two then in India and their experience of colorism, they were new to the term colorism, but they had in their lived experience, they had felt how they'd been treated differently based upon the color of their skin. We did it for the audience to say, mm. like, listen and hear their lived experience. And we focused on feeling and emotion 
as opposed to technical language. And we mixed it up with animation and that kind of stuff. And so I came to start doing this work because being passionate about DEI, but realizing like around $8 billion each year is spent on DEI programs. And yet we're not like seeing progress, like progress is kind of lacking. Like, I know. And so we came up with storytelling. So what do you see as solutions? Like, why do you think that companies have had great intent spending money on DEI work, but they're not seeing as much change as they want? Well, a couple of reasons. I do think we have not effectively engaged. Some people say the majority, but I wouldn't say the majority because the demographics of the U.S. is soon to become a majority non-white country, right? So I don't like majority minority too much, but I do think we've failed to effectively engage everyone in the change equation Mm. and have unintentionally created an us and them situation where, oh, I'm diverse and you're not, right? And I don't want to let anyone off the hook though by saying this, right? So that's a big asterisk because I do think people have been shown But somehow, you know, it landed differently in the pandemic when George Floyd's murder was televised. It woke up a whole generation of people to understanding like, oh, I'm not doing Mm. enough. I am not focusing on this. I thought it was enough, but it's not. I'm a good person. Like, I think there's a lot of us in the I'm a good person. I'm doing enough because of what I believe, Mm. you know, and my big message these days is no, like systems need actions from elements of the system to change that system. Like we have to actually be more overt, more public, more proactive. We've got to get into the arena, so to speak, and really begin to do that uncomfortable work of allyship because it's uncomfortable because it's new language, it's new actions. People say, I feel like I'm going to get canceled or I'm going to get it wrong. And I don't know what I say to that because emotions are high. And there is some risk to sticking your neck out and saying, I'm going to be an agent for change. I'm going to have these conversations. I'm going to raise these issues. I'm going to use my voice. I'm going to step outside of the system that benefits me and actually hold that system accountable. Yeah. That's quite an ask, right? Because there's a view of scarcity, which is, well, if I do that, I'm giving up. Yeah. And my big point to that is you have no idea what actually you're going to be able to accelerate. and magnify. So you think you're giving up power, but actually there's like so much possibility that you don't even know is right on the other side of that. If you just take that step, like your transformation is what's on the other side. But who am I to say, hey, have faith in me, come along this journey, you know? So anyway, I I know that it's it's a big ask for some people to say like, trust me, you know, trust me because I'm doing this work every day and I know what's possible because it's transformed me. Yeah. And Fiona, you know, it's transformed you as well. So there's scarcity. There's also like not understanding what the steps are for our own evolution in the new book, which is my second edition of how to be an inclusive leader. It re-highlights the four-phase model that we go through as learners. And I think a lot of people resonate with it because it doesn't call anyone a bad person. It just says, look, you go from unawareness to awareness, to action, to advocacy. And that is a journey that we are all on. Like we all need to learn. I'm still learning about certain identities. Yeah, I'm in my beginning stages of (laughs) awareness on some, and then I'm very comfortable advocating bravely and in a deeply informed way about other identities that I've been close to, that I hold. So anyway, I think to the mystery of, oh, like I'm supposed to read a book and become an anti-racist. There are more steps than that. This is a muscle we build. 
you know, it's a practice we have to have. And it's something that we grow in capability and capacity through the feedback from others. Like I always say, like you're only an ally if someone in an affected community calls you an ally. Mm -hmm. It is something we earn Mm. and you earn it in the estimation of others. So it's a journey. And if we can kind of like bring that down to kind of just concrete everyday actions and just calibrating as we go, And doing that without fragility, without making it all about us, without having to be perfect. If we can make space for us to go that path. And then also for those of us who might get impatient with people as they are on their learning journey, I think we have to kind of slow our roll and say, you know what? We were all learning. Yes. And we are all learning at some point. So there is not a single one among us who can sit on the high horse. Uh -uh. No, like, uh, okay, I want to quiz you about. Yeah. (laughs) Like 60 gender, I want you to tell me all the gender identities that exist. Go. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, no. I think there's around 64 or 68. (laughs) I think I can remember them all. Yeah. (laughs) But every one is valid. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) So anyway, I just, we got to be humble. I'm really with you on this like frustrating divide because I think that cis white males have been labeled somehow as not diverse, but every human being has some kind of level of diversity because we're all just like a mosaic. And I know, of course, like analogy of the iceberg, you know, 10% above and 90% below. So to all those cisgender Mm. white men, like my father who are listening (laughs) to this, we see you and you are diverse too. What are the biggest things you've learned in the last 20 years of doing this kind of work? Like if you could go for like from the beginning to today, what are the biggest changes that you way you think about this? I think to view like you're either marginalized or you're not and sort of it's us versus them. That whole landscape, I think, has changed mm-hmm. my place in it. You know, when I came out, maybe like you, Fiona, like I went through my activism phase. Like, I mean, I was in nonprofits before I had this job and I was very much like using my voice and lobbying for, you know, communities without a voice and you know, so those were my roots. And then though it flipped, you know, as we began to talk about intersectionalities, we began to talk about diversity within the diversity. You know, I grew up in these largely gay, white, cisgender male spaces because that was the world, you know, 20 years ago. Yep. So did I. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, you were the only, you know, cisgender woman in the room. Yep. As far as we knew. Yep. Right. Of course, which is, you know, another question. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, and I, yeah. I valued those times because I learned so much from my gay cisgender male colleagues in the activism fight in the workplace, you know, because they were the first people to be out because they had all the privileges that protected them when they came out. It was safest for them. Yeah. So no blame. Yeah. It just was sort of that first cohort. And then as we began to realize who was missing from our community, right? Who was missing? Well, most queer women did not feel comfortable and we need to have our own spaces because I think the gay cisgender men probably had their own inclusion work to do and still do, right? And have to really reflect, okay, so where am I not being inclusive? Like, why are the women not showing up? Why are people of color not comfortable coming to our ERG? Why are there no trans people that are out that I have in my personal network, right? Or gender non-binary folks in my immediate circle who's not comfortable around me and why? And then we started to have these deeper conversations. So I flipped into this mode of, well, I might be LGBTQ, but I'm comfortable talking about the privileges I carry. I'm comfortable talking about the challenges we have in the communities I'm in, 
And by the way, this is true for every marginalized quote unquote community. We have our own diversity issues. Yeah. Look at the homophobia in certain cultures. We have issues. And look at the stigma around mental health and how it's treated in different communities too, where there's a huge stigma Mm -hmm. around like raising my hand and saying, I need help. Right. And so I don't want to name names in certain communities and you can go read about this, but like, this is where we have to walk the talk first. You know, we have to get comfortable with this. We have to be inclusive. We have to role model it. And then we can go and sort of be ambassadors for the idea of it in other spaces. Correct. Let me add biphobia to that list as well, because as somebody who first came out as lesbian and then later bi, I've heard the worst things from lesbian and gay people about my bisexuality. I'm so sorry, Fiona. You don't represent all the lesbians. It's okay. I know. I felt that I had bias against people who were bi when I identified as a lesbian. And I remember thinking like, I knew like one other friend who said she identified as bisexual and I didn't verbalize and say this to her because I wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, I was thinking, oh, why doesn't she go all the way? And now they, oh my gosh, like (laughs) it's kind of fun to be able to learn. That's one of the reasons why I love getting older because I feel like you can look back and see your own evolution. So true. I was just doing my best back then. And today's best is not the same as a decade ago's best. Thank goodness. And today's best is not as good as my best in another 10 years, right? Who knows what we're going to know? I love that. That's a beautiful way to look at it. I have to. It's the only way to survive. (laughs) That's true. That is very true. So let's get to your Lionheart story. So I consider Lionhearts to be people showing kindness and courage. What experiences of kindness and courage from the LGBTQ plus community have you seen? Oh, my goodness. So many. I mean, oh, gosh, I would say you talk about a learning curve of inclusion for me. For 20 years, I've been in this work. But as my trans and gender non-binary folks came into my life, and into my circles and onto the platforms that I have, their bravery and like role modeling and deep wisdom and courage and patience (laughs) with others on their learning journey. I think that really comes to mind as one of the biggest gifts that I have experienced and to be brought along and to be trusted as a cisgender person by my friends in that community and just the honor I feel to even have like a snippet of understanding and awareness of that journey and to be a part of it has changed my life. So anyway, I have to say that has been so humbling, so inspirational. And yet I don't want to lionize it and tokenize it by saying all these things, right? I don't want to say, oh, you're just this magical human because people are just people. Like we're just trying to live our human experience. But I have to say though, that I am grateful that I've had the opportunity to be up close and personal with so many people of different identities. And then the gift of exploring my own gender identity, my own gender expression, Mm -hmm. and then having the language for that, and then understanding the privileges or other things that come from whatever, like the things that I don't have to, I don't have to struggle with in the same way, right? It may be a different kind of struggle that I've had with my womanness and, uh, you know, the implications of how I look. Fiona, we're like both kind of probably feminine expressing, if we can say that, you know, and, and there, are, there are implications to that too. I mean, for, for the longest time, I wasn't even recognized as part of the LGBT community in some quarters. And I'm sure you've experienced uh-huh. this too, that sort of erasure, there's bi erasure, uh-huh. there's like femme erasure. Yeah. And so it's, it's really interesting to unpack that stuff too. Yeah. When I identified as lesbian, people would say, you're too pretty to be a lesbian. 
since re-identifying as bi, no one's ever said I'm too pretty to be bi. <laughs> well, that says a lot. <laughs> like, seriously? What is that about? <laughs> Wow, that's a whole graduate level course right there. Before we leave, I'm just curious, when you started the answer you were saying about your trans and gender non-conforming individuals that have come into life, is there one person that comes to mind? You don't have to name names. Oh gosh, oh my goodness. I am heartbroken when I learn about the status change when people transition and in the world and, and live their true gender and begin to either get the benefits or the penalties of that gender. You know, I'm just thinking of someone who shared with me, I trans woman is like, yeah, I, I lost like 15 career levels when I came out as a trans woman in my tech company. Yeah. I went from this to this to this, and I lost this, and I was not given these opportunities. And all of a sudden, I started to be talked to differently and viewed differently. And then similarly with you know, trans men that in my life, you know, being able to walk through the world as a man and be treated in the world and seen in the world as that and the career opportunities that, you know what I mean? So like, it's so deep and profound when it comes to understanding that gender differences and bias are real. And that those of us who have had experiences in this world in both of those or in a non-binary guys, you know, and being treated by the world in that way is a whole other thing. Like it's just those stories stay with me because they underscore the importance of the conversation. I mean, they crystallize like that these differences are real. And when we're told that we're gaslit and we're told that these don't exist, that they're not real, yeah. this kind of deepens my conviction. And it reminds me that the fight is worth fighting, yeah. you know, and sometimes I get tired of the fight. And sometimes, you know, as a cisgender woman, you feel like you have been in these conversations as a cisgender woman for a long time, but it just deepens the whole question of like, why do we as humans have such flawed wiring, such limited ability to hold, you know, what's possible for each of us in our truest selves? You know, and so this is what keeps me going when I have the hard days, you know, is to remember, you know, this is this is a fight worth having and I will have it until my dying breath. Yes. There's a wonderful quote by Howard Thurman that says, ask not what the world needs, ask what makes you feel alive and go do it. Because what the world needs are people doing things that make them feel alive. And I've just been motivated by that quote, like, but since 2010. That's really cool. Mm. Jennifer, this has been amazing. Please tell our listener uh, where they can find you. Tell us a bit more about the exciting book launch. Ooh, yes, I did. Yeah. So I did a second edition of my 2019 book. And mm. I love that we did this because it needed an update. Many lifetimes have happened since 2019, I needless to say. And the whole landscape shifted, but it enabled me to kind of pull yeah. the core of the book, but change the context, if you will. And give much more detail, much more concrete, more urgent messages, I think, for change. So please check it out. It's How to Be an Inclusive Leader, my second edition. It is mainly a new book. So if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I already read the first one, yeah. you know, please don't assume that it is the same book, but it's sort of new and improved as, I, as I'm thinking about it. And then podcast is will to change, as you mentioned. I'm on like all the socials, at Jennifer Brown Speaks on Instagram, at Jennifer Brown on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. We have wonderful community calls. We have my team of amazing consultants is out there helping organizations move their strategy along, develop inclusion learning and education. We're a much bigger company than just me, but I tend to speak a lot, moderate more books, hopefully in the future, which is like my, what my team does not want to hear, but <laughs> it is happening. <laughs> 
that's me in a nutshell, but please like get involved to support the launch, get the book, bring the book into your organization, have a book club around it. We have a great guide and ways that you can use the book. But I think books are, Fiona, you know, this books are such a friendly, neutral way to begin our journey and to sort of deepen our relationships with each other. Yeah. Sort of this way to discuss how things land and I think that is such a first great first step for the inclusion conversation. I'm really looking forward to also reading Beyond Diversity, like the 12 non-obvious ways to build. So I want to know what those non-obvious ways are. So I'll save that discovery. Yeah. Yeah. My co-author, everybody, Beyond Diversity, um, it was last year. And Rohit is an unbelievable, like a trend analyzer. I don't know what to say call him. He's sort of a futurist. And so we wrote the book together. It meant to be like this general audience, not necessarily a leadership book, but I think leaders love it. But it's more like diversity through the lens of like media and entertainment and education and retail and government and all these parts of our lives where we touch this topic every day. And this topic is kind of showing up around us and we just have to tune in. We just have to start paying attention. Well, good. Well, Jennifer, I can't wait to see you at some point in person again, but if not online. I'm going to see that trailer, Fiona. I'm coming to Austin. I'm coming for you. Come have a drink <laughs> on my patio. I would love it. <laughs> All right. Well, I will. Lots of love, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you, Fiona. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please go to nowwithfiona.com for more information, resources, and ways to help. Big shouts of gratitude to West One Music Group for our fantastic signature tune and to our amazing executive producer, Mindy Raymond. Be happy, remember to love always and let your lion heart roar. This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.